What's up, everybody? Is everybody awake? Is lunch good? App's good? Everybody's good? Uh, I want to welcome you guys. Uh, consider it a, a great honor to, uh, to be able to present, to be able to share my heart on a subject I'm deeply passionate about, about revitalizing churches. Can we just have a word of prayer real quick before we jump into this? Father, I just pray in Jesus' name that you just give us some tools in this session to take back home, to put to good work, and to see you do just a miracle of what you do in the body of Christ, bringing new life into something that you care deeply about, your church. Open up our heart today and let us receive all you have for us in Jesus' name. And everybody said, I want to welcome you guys uh, to a topic I am passionate about, church revitalization. I want to kind of give a disclaimer on the front of this. Um, I have not figured this all out. So there's a lot of things about church revitalization that even I am still learning. I've got some things I would like to share with you. Unfortunately, I could spend probably two days on this topic by itself because there is so much to unpack, but I want to just give you some things. My goal today is not to solve all of the revitalization issues you may be dealing with, but if you could just lean in for a few minutes, I think I could give you some keys and some tools that you can take back to your church and start conversations with key people. And so how many of you already receive whatever God has for you? Say yes. I want you to know first and foremost that here at ARC, we do care about revitalizing churches. This is first and foremost a church planting movement. That's what we, we do. That's who we are. That is going to be our primary focus. That's our primary mission. However, I want you to know ARC does care about revitalizing churches that do exist. I have planted and I have re also revitalized. I've done both. And I can tell you that both are very rewarding and both are very challenging. In fact, having done both, I would even say, that revitalizing a church is oftentimes much more challenging and a lot harder than planting a church from scratch. When you're going into an environment with existing culture and existing mindsets and, and patterns and structures and belief systems and all those various things, it can be even more challenging to revitalize than it can to even plant. Uh, the, the, the fact is there's a certain life cycle in a church and you're in this room because of this life cycle today. And I've been here before myself and God's allowed us to experience some success in this by his grace. The life cycle of, of a church, any given church will be that the church will first start out on an incline. And so whatever season of the church it in, whether it was 30 years ago, or whether it's currently, there'll be a season of incline, a season of growth, a season of momentum. Everybody say incline. And then what happens is when you get to the incline at some point, if, it's, if we're not careful, the church will then hit the season of recline. And they end up reclining back on the successes of the incline season. And they begin to just rest in that and, and lackadaisical. And, and things kind of uh, become a little bit easy. And everyone just kind of gets a little bit lethargic in the church. So when you go from incline to recline, everybody say recline. If you don't adjust in the recline, you hit the third phase, which is what we don't want. And that is the decline. Everybody say decline. So then you hit the third phase, which is decline. The church begins to decline. Chances are you're in this room today as I was, where you're either in the recline point or you are in the decline point. You're not in this room if you're in the incline point. You don't need to revitalize anything if you're inclining. You're in here today because you're in one of these, uh, one of these places. And I believe that God gives us wisdom and how to revitalize out of that. You need to know up on the front end of this that Jesus cares very deeply about revitalizing your church. He cares deeply about church revitalization. 
You may say, well, how do you know that? Biblically, I can prove it to you. You just have to look at the seven churches in the book of Revelation. The letters that he wrote to the seven churches in Revelation are literally the, the, the scriptural hallmark for his passion to revitalize the church. In Revelation 2 and 3, we see Jesus addressing seven different types of churches, physical churches, but, but also churches of, that are examples to types of churches today. And what is he talking about? He's addressing things to them that need to be changed that they're missing the mark on. He, he rebuked, for instance, the church of Ephesus who were doctrinally sound, but they lacked love. They had lost their first love. He commends the church in Pergamum for holding fast to his name, but then he rebukes them for entertaining false teaching and he calls them to repent. The church in Thyatira, he had some there who, who were holding to some false teaching and Jesus promised to judge them, but he also commends the rest of the church and encourages them to persevere. The one church I find very interesting in the seven churches of Revelation that really pertain most to church revitalization is the church in Sardis in Revelation 3, verses 1 through 4. I'm just going to read these scriptures to you. Jesus wrote to them and said this. He said, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive. Everybody say being alive. He said, but you are dead. He said, wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember therefore what you have received and heard, hold it fast and repent. And in verse four, he says, yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white for they are worthy. If you need a one verse proof that Jesus cares about church revitalization. It's in verse two of Revelation three, going back to what he said to Sardis. He said, wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. Strengthen it. Jesus cares about revitalizing your church. And so our story, I pastor Vibrant Church in Columbus, Mississippi. Uh, it's, a, it's a church that God has really just blessed through, through many, many years. I came there 10 years ago in 2009 when the church was around 250 people and uh, we begin to, the process of, of doing some revitalization of the church and really seeking God for what he wanted. Uh, 10 years later, today, we just moved into a 1,500-seat auditorium. We're pushing close to 3,000 people who call Vibrant Church their home church. We're about to begin a multi-site strategy soon. And in a community in Mississippi where the churches are racially polarized completely, there is no diverse church in our city. I'm proud to say, and I boast in the Lord in this, that we are approaching a 37% diversity ratio in our church, first city in our church to break that barrier. And you ought to give God some praise for that if you know what I'm talking about. And that's exciting, right? Everything I just told you is really great. And we love to, 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 to celebrate that. It sounds great, right? And, and we rah-rah that. The only problem, what I just told you, is that was the, only the highlight reel. What I just told you was the, the social media pick. Okay, that, that's the highlight reel that we all just, oh, that's so great, that's so wonderful. But what I just skipped over and didn't tell you was the 10 years in between, the last 10 years of grinding through this amazing thing and difficult thing called revitalization. I didn't tell you just now about the sleepless nights. I didn't tell you about the confrontations that we had to endure. I didn't tell you about the criticism 
that I face. I didn't tell you about the people who walked out and took a lot of money with them. I didn't tell you about the battles we had to fight. I didn't tell you about the wounds that I still carry in my heart to this day from some of the things that have happened over the last 10 years. I didn't tell you about all the heartache. I didn't tell you about the things that didn't work that we tried and we felt embarrassed about. I didn't cover all of that. I just gave you the highlight reel. How many of you believe that revitalization is difficult? It is difficult work, but I'm telling you right now, it is worth it. When you see what God can do and in your church and through your church to bring new life to it and what the byproduct is, I'm telling you, it's worth every pain. It's worth every heartache. It's worth every criticism. It's worth every hurt. When you see God get all the glory out of it, can I get an amen, everybody? To revitalize, the basic definition of revitalize is to give new life or vigor to to give new life. So God wants to give some new life and some vigor to your church. And so what I wanna do is I just wanna give you some basic keys. I'm gonna move very quickly. Uh, if you got some, some note-taking material, write down some notes. I'm not here to, to, to solve all of your church revitalization needs. What I wanna do in the limited time we have is to give you some things that are thought-provoking for you to take home with your team, that maybe the Holy Spirit can then move in your heart and through your team and take those conversations to a deeper level and hopefully be a catalyst to change. Are you ready? Say yes. Number, first of all, this key right here is most important, I believe, to church revitalization. That's number one. And that is make sure it's a God thing. Make sure it's a God thing because listen, the vast majority of pastors who try, they fail or they end up losing their job. I've really, I've talked to many pastors who have approached us for uh, or to me, to coach or whatever, I have run across pastors who were not called to revitalize a church and attempted it. Make sure it's a God thing for your life. And I really think that churches fail in revitalization for a few different reasons. Either the people that they're leading don't like any kind of change at all, or the pastor isn't totally committed to it himself, or the pastor ends up taking wrong steps at wrong times and ends up derailing the, the mission or the pastor can't handle conflict very well, or the pastor blinks when the bullies begin to derail his attempts to revitalize the church. Any one of those five issues I have found is the main reason that revitalization fails. So let me encourage you, make sure that this is not about you. Make sure that it is about God and it's something he's put on your heart to do. So before we begin the process of revitalization, I just want you to consider the following things. Are you willing to deal with conflict head on? Because you're gonna have to. Are you prepared to lose some friends? Because you will. Are you willing to stay where you are for 10 years? Because that is about how long it takes. That's not just my story. That is an actual statistic. Through all the years I've revitalized the church myself and even coached other pastors who are revitalizing churches. I've never seen a church revitalized without losing people. You are going to lose people. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm just here to encourage your faith. Amen, everybody. The good news is this. The good news is that if you pull it off, nothing compares to the fulfillment you'll experience when you actually revitalize the church and watch Jesus make a difference in your city. Second thing is this. Define God's vision for your church. What is God's vision for your church? David said in Psalm 127 that unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. What is his vision? Not your vision. What is his vision? What would, if you sought his heart, God, what is it you want to do 
in my church? What kind of church do you want? Do you envision us to be in this community? What, what does God want to accomplish in your church and through your church? What kind of, what kind of church does he see that he wants you to build? Find out what that is. Prayerfully consider that. I think too often times we live in a generation where uh, things like vision and dreams and all those things that I value, they can have a higher premium on them than necessary. And we end up using our vision and our dream and things we've seen other churches do. And we put God's stamp on it when we really haven't taken the time to seek God for what he wants. So first, find out what is God's vision for your church. Number, number three is this. Once you, once you get an idea of that, be honest about your present reality. Compared to that vision, what is the present reality you're in? And be, on, be brutally honest about it. I would even encourage you to pull outside people that aren't even a part of your church to come in and sit in a service and look at your children's ministries and operation and really look at who you are and sit down and be brutally honest with you and tell you where you stink at certain things. To be honest about the, you can't change something you're not honest about. So it's gonna require you as the leader to look inside your church. And here's what I would do, evaluate everything. Look at everything. And here's the big question you've got to ask yourself. The big question is, is it working? It's not just that we do it. Does it work? Because there's a lot of things I think churches do that don't work. So you have to evaluate everything. If it's not working, change it or get rid of it. This goes into that whole uh, phase of, of what I call killing sacred cows. And this is a big part of church revitalization. So a lot of things, when you begin to investigate your own church and look at it and ask, why do we do this? You're gonna find out that there's really no purpose in it right now. Maybe there was at one time. Maybe it worked at one time. It just may not work now. Those are the things that you either need to change or get rid of altogether. You've heard the phrase, well, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? Well, it may not be broken. It may not just, it just may not be relevant anymore. It may still work. It just may not be doing anything for you or anybody coming to your church. So I kind of like the motto, and I say this a little bit in our staff, is if it ain't broke, maybe it needs to be broken. Because if it ain't working, then let's break it. Let's find out what's inside of it. Let's pull it apart and maybe rebuild something that would glorify God in a better way. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So evaluate everything. Be honest about your present reality. If it's ugly, then write it down and say it's ugly. If it don't work, then write it down. Say, God, this is the present reality of our church compared to the vision you have. This is who we are. Number four, understand this. Inward transformation drives external change. Inward transformation drives external change. What does that mean? Revitalizing doesn't mean changing a bunch of external things. That if we can just go into our church and change some external stuff, then we've somehow revitalized our church. Forcing a bunch of external changes in your church is not revitalization. It's not about, hey, let's get some moving lights and let's get a smoke machine and let's paint the ceiling black and let's make everybody wear skinny jeans and then we revitalize our church. It doesn't work that way. Just as external or moralistic changes cannot transform a human heart, so external changes to a church's programs or to a church's structures cannot revitalize a church. It's like trying to bend a metal rod without first heating it up. It will either resist the change altogether or the rod will completely snap in two. 
How does internal change happen in the human heart? Internal change happens only through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's how we know that a human heart can be transformed. As you begin to preach the gospel, and I, I wanna say this because I think sometimes we're, we're missing this in our generation now. It's been good to hear some of the overtones of this throughout the whole conference. It's been very refreshing to hear. I think sometimes in our generation, we've preached a lot of things except the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's something about the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ that changes the heart of a person and creates inner transformation. What does this have to do with revitalizing your church? Because I think you should take a season and start preaching about what Jesus did for us, what God's heart is for humanity, what God's heart is for this city, why the cross matters, why the resurrection matters, why the blood matters, why we need to repent, why we need to seek God, why we need to be a church that's after the heart of God, why we need to be a church that's about the things that matter to God's heart. As you begin to do that, the people become more willing to extend themselves to reach others. There's a power in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can preach about a lot of things, but come on, somebody, we got to bring it back to the cross, bring it back to what this is all about. It creates an inner transformation. Listen, there is a time to push change, and there is a time to preach Jesus. You must do both, but it takes wisdom to know which to do when. I say preach Jesus first, because when you when, when a church recaptures its first love, like Revelation 2. It's more likely to embrace the uncomfortable changes to accomplish the mission of the church when it recaptures what this is all about. So we can preach all kinds of stuff about seven ways to have a better attitude at work and all these things that we get into today. And I'm not saying it's not, that those things are irrelevant. I'm just saying that if you're in a church that needs to be revitalized, if you're in a church that's either in the recline or the decline, right now, it's not about their attitude at work. It's about a church that is dying and hurting and we need to get recaptured and, 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 and re-envisioned with the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ and what this is all about, right? Pushing change, I believe, Pushing change should be the byproduct of preaching Jesus because faith without works is what? Is dead. Change for change's sake doesn't ever work. You must give them the why. People need to know the why. Why are we changing this? It's not that we change it. They need to know why we're changing it. And I believe getting it back to the gospel is an important thing for creating that inner transformation preaching the gospel, preaching Jesus, preaching God's heart for people, what he's done for, what we're called to do. Why do we even exist? If we shut our doors tomorrow, would this city even care? And if they wouldn't care, then something's wrong. And what are we here for? And give vision to people. It's then that they become, they get woken up to the reality of what God's called the church to do. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Number five is this, understand this. Culture is king. Culture is king. Everybody say culture. Every organization has a culture. Every church has a culture. Your church has a culture right now, whether you believe it or not. The issue is, are you driving the culture? Or are you letting it develop on its own? Is it something that you're tending to? Is it something that you're intentional about your culture? Your culture is going to drive everything in your church. I want to talk about culture a little more in just a moment, but I want you to know that culture is king. Number six, do not underestimate the power of momentum. 
when it comes to revitalization. Because the fact is, it's easier to change your church when it's growing. Just like it's easier to steer a bike that's moving. Momentum is what gives you the capital that you need to purchase more change. That's why I suggest that you first focus on changing those things that are hindering your church from growing. If you change those things first, all of a sudden, the church begins to grow a little bit. The church begins to get new life into it. And when growth is happening, it's easier than to change other things. Because here's what happens. When people begin to experience the joy of seeing new people come to the church, that 10, 15 new people came today, and oh my goodness, three people said yes to Jesus. When was the last time that happened? When they begin to, to capture that, when they begin to see the joy of new people coming to Jesus and being born again right in front of them, they are more willing at that point to shift away from what is comfortable to them and into what is effective at reaching other people. Momentum is your greatest ally. Don't forget that. Number seven, beware of fighting battles that lead to nowhere. When you're revitalizing the church, you're going to have to be careful because there's a lot of battles that you're going to be confronted with. Don't fight battles that lead to nowhere. Beware of fighting battles, no matter how worthy they are, that gain you very little strategic advantage at all. Because I'm telling you, some battles, often worthy battles, won't help you in the bigger war of revitalization. In my experience, if you can postpone some things, Maybe you know they need to change, but maybe it's not the right time. I believe time and vision, timing and vision are two different things, and they must be married together. You can have the right vision and the wrong time and mess it all up. You can have the right time and the wrong vision and mess it all up. But how many of you know, if you marry those two things together, it's a beautiful thing. Certain things don't need to be changed right now. It's not worth it. It's a battle that's not going to help you. And so beware of fighting Battles that are not going to produce you any strategic advantage. Sometimes it's worth postponing some things so you can win that later without shedding a drop of blood on either side of the fence. Sometimes it's worth saying, you know what? I want to do that right now because it's irritating me. But you know what? In the life of the church right now, it'd be better if we did that 12 months from now. I think the church, if we're trending the way I see it, I think in 12 months from right now, they're going to be right for that. And you, then you can do it and not have to shed blood. Know which battle to fight when. Now, if you're a leader who's, who's a perfectionist at heart, this can be a big problem because you tend to have trouble if you're a perfectionist distinguishing from the right, the right from the expedient. What is right and what is expedient oftentimes can be two different things. Just because it needs to change doesn't mean it needs to change right now. We sometimes forget it's not about winning battles. How many know it's about leading people? It's about taking people on the journey, that they're following you and you have to take them with you. It's not just about, sometimes you can win the war and then after you declared victory, you turn around and there ain't nobody left. And so it doesn't win you anything, but it's leading people, not just winning. Number eight, this is huge important. In my experience, invest your time developing your allies instead of trying to convince your critics. Don't spend any time with people in your church who are gonna fight every ounce of change that you're trying to give them. Spend time with the people who are for you, not the ones who are against you. The, 
Listen, we had a lot of this early on. When, we be, when I began to change, we had a lot of, this is just not the way we used to do. You know, why are we doing that? Why are we singing those kinds of songs? Why are we, you know, I remember we, we had cut the worship down from 45 minutes down to 18. We went from like five to six songs down to three. And it was because, not because I don't love worship. Come on, how many of you love worship? But th- this is not about us. This is about the people who I wanted to come, come into the church who don't know a thing about church. They're not used to that. So we had to cut some things back and like, look, let's make this a great experience for people who are far from Christ. Let's give them a space where the Holy Spirit can touch them and they don't feel like they're being drugged across a valley. And I remember people go, how in the world are we going to do that? We can't even feel the Holy Spirit till 30, 45 minutes. And I'd tell them, are you going to feel them in 18 now? Just how are we going to do it now? I remember we had, I was out in the lobby one morning, this was years ago, and the lady comes walking in the lobby into the worship service, and I noticed these two sticks she had sticking out from under her arm. And I, and I, I just, something in my heart just said, this ain't gonna be good. So I stopped her in the lobby and I said, hey, ma'am, how are you? Good to see you today. Oh, man, I said, hey, what's that? She said, oh, those are my worship banners. And I said, wow, what's, what's one do with a worship banner? She's like, oh, well, in worship, the Holy Spirit just comes on me, and I just take them and wave them before the Lord. I said, yeah, not here. No, we don't do that here. And she looked at me like I was the devil. And she's, wow, this is just, I said, let me ask you a question. Just out of the kindness of my heart, let me ask you a question. When you're at home in your prayer time and your worship time, do you use your worship banners in your living room? She said, oh, no, no, this is just something that God does on me in corporate worship in the church. I said, see, here's my problem. Because if it ain't good for your house, how is it good for God's house? I said, I'm sorry, you're gonna have to leave your worship banners out here. And she turned around and left and never came back again. Thank you, Jesus. The battles we had to fight, the things that we had to do, I had critics. I had people. There were people that, that came against, that talked about, and I was very tempted early on to spend time with the people that didn't like it to try to convince them that what we were doing is right when God was trying to show me, but you got an army of people over here that are all about what's going on, that are excited, and they're praying for you, and they're believing in the vision. Spend time with them. Spend more time developing being the people who are with you than engaging the people who are against you. I'm telling you, nothing will silence opposition like momentum and excitement. When people started getting saved every Sunday in the church, hands were going up to say yes to Jesus. All of a sudden, we, we got the strategic advantage at that point. The ones who were kind of iffy and looking at me from a distance, like, what is he doing? Why are we painting the ceiling black? Why are we doing all this? Why are they turning the lights down during worship? All of a sudden, when people started coming to Jesus and the church started filling up again, all of a sudden I could tell, hey, you may not like the method, but you can't argue the results. It may not be your preferences, but this is not about your preferences. This is about people coming to Jesus. And all of a sudden people go, well, maybe there's something to this that we don't see. Instead of spending time or instead of spending a lot of time putting out fires, maybe you need to create some fires. 
Pull the leaders around you who are bought into your vision and begin to develop them, begin to coach them, begin to pray with them, begin to pour your heart into them, begin to paint the mosaic and the picture of what you see, the church I see, and I need your help. I need you to come alongside of me. I need you to pray with me. I need you to lock arms with me because there's a greater thing we're about here and that is that people are going to hell in this community and we have a mission. I'm gonna tell you right now, some people need to leave your church right now and you need to help them. See, we have a rollout ministry in our church. It's a dream team opportunity. Hey, listen, if you don't like what we're doing, hey, we have a rollout ministry. And I show them the exit door. We just roll you on out to the parking lot. God bless you. And there's a way to do it lovingly. And you have people that'll come to your church when you're trying to revitalize and they'll bring their own agenda. They'll bring their own vision. Well, in my church, my former church, we did this. Why don't you go back to your former church? That's not who we are. That sounds kind of harsh. Yeah, it's called strong leadership. You can't be afraid to let some people go. There were some people that left Vibrant Church that said that they would never leave. People who had been there for 20 plus years. And the minute we started making changes because we wouldn't acquiesce to their preferences, they packed up their toys and they left. Now, the grace of God in that is this, that God told me when that happened, don't you utter a word. Don't you defend yourself. Don't you defend the ministry I'm doing. You let them talk, let them blast it on social media, let the critics run their mouth. I will have the final word. Can I tell you today, 95% of those people that left years ago have come back in repentance and said, we were wrong. We want to be a part of what God is doing. We just didn't understand. Will you receive us back? Isn't that the grace of God, everybody? But there's some people in your church right now who need to leave and you need to help them leave. I remember I talked to some lovely couples in our church along the way who they would tell me in the hallway, I'd meet them in the lobby or whatever. And they're like, hey, Pastor Jason, we just love, we love the church and we love the preaching. We just can't, it's just the music's just a little too much for us. We're just real conservative people. And they were really shocked when I would tell them, what are you looking for? What's really, because I believe it takes different types of churches to reach different types of people. This is not about contemporary versus traditional. It's about being life-giving. You can be traditional and be life-giving, right? So what are you looking for? Well, we just really love the hymns and all that. Hey, man, that's great. And they were blown out of their mind when I would say, hey, here's the phone number of three of my pastor friends in town. I want you to call them and tell them I sent you. I think you'll love any one of those churches. Like, what? Are you seriously gonna help us find a place? I said, absolutely. This is not about us. This is about the kingdom of God. And I don't care where you're at. You just need to get plugged in somewhere where you can grow spiritually and follow the leader God's given you. There's a way to roll people out and move them out. Now, that's the nice version. Now, if they would have told me, well, we love the worship, but uh, we don't like the preaching, I'd have said, well, you're out of luck because there ain't none better in town. I'm just sorry. I don't know what I'm going to tell you. There's a nice way to do it, but then there's some, there, there are those times in the revitalization. If you're not serious and you can't handle conflict, don't attempt revitalization because there are those conversations where you're going to have to get toe-to-toe in a loving way with somebody and say, hey, this may not be the place for you. As angry and as tense as you are about what we're doing, this is not what God would want for your life. It's better for you to find a place. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. If you're not hearing my voice, I'm not your shepherd. And let me help you find a place to go, but you can't be here like this. I had numerous conversations like that. Some of them took me up on it and it hurt. And some of them didn't. And they, I said, my, my go-to is always, 
but why don't you just give me six months? Trust what I'm telling you. If it doesn't work, I'll own it. But just stay, just six more months. Just watch what happens. And there were many people that took me up on that. And at the end of that, those six months, they would come back to me and say, Pastor, you were right, man. I'm glad we stayed. I'm glad we waited. We now understand what you're trying to do with this. Are you all hearing what I'm saying? Don't waste your time trying to convince your critics. Let me move on. Number nine is this. Lead your people from an inward focus to an outward focus. When a church loses its outward focus, it will turn inward. When it turns inward, it will begin to cannibalize itself. Churches with inward focuses cannibalize themselves. They're too busy focused on one another. Can you believe what they're wearing? Tearing down each other, gossiping about each other. And the only reason the church cannibalizes itself like that is because they have no outward focus. If they were focused outward, they wouldn't be looking at each other. They wouldn't be tearing each other apart. This is how church splits happen. This is how bad things happen in the church. There is no vision. Where there is no vision, the people cast off restraint. And they end up tearing one another apart. So when a church turns inward, it begins to be focused on things that don't matter. And it becomes all about them and their preferences. Lead your church to turn their focus outward. This goes back to the priority of preaching the gospel, the heart for the lost. There's a city out here that as long as there are people dying and going to hell tonight in Columbus, Mississippi, we have a mandate to grow. We have a mandate to change. We have a mandate to reform. We have a mandate to get out of these four walls. This is not what we're called to do. It's to sit up in here, huddled away, singing, I fly away, oh glory, I fly away. Just Jesus come rescue. Jesus is not coming back for a bride like that. He's coming back for one that is out there beyond these four walls, getting our hands dirty in the sin and the mire and the muck of our community and rescuing people out of hell. This is what we're called to do. It's that outward focus. You begin to give them outward focus. When, hey, when a church has an outward focus, they don't care about what somebody else is wearing across the room. They don't get judgmental. They don't get condemning. They don't care what somebody smells like or what they look like or what they have or don't have because they're not focused on that. Their focus is outward. Lead your church to serve your city. What are the felt needs in your community that you can, that you can meet? Find a need and meet it. Find a hurt and heal it. Find something to get your church. Mo- I would recommend all of you, if you're not already engaged in it, to be a part of the serve day, the ARC National Serve Day in July. Mobilize your church to get a couple of outreach opportunities and mobilize them. They'll tell you how to do it. You can go on the ARC website. They'll tell you how to do it. It's easy. Nothing will, man, you want to energize your church, get them in something that is beyond themselves. Let them reach people who are hurting, people who are lost, people who don't have nothing, people who are out there, who are completely away from Christ, who have felt needs, the hungry, the poor, have them get involved in something. Battered women, man, have them get involved in a battered women's home to go down there one Saturday, love on the, you wanna break your heart of your church for people? Have them get involved in the pain of others. For one day, listen, inside them, it's inerrant. It will make them completely hunger for more of it. They'll come back saying, when can we do it again? What are you doing? You're giving them outward focus. It's not about us. Teach your people this. The church does not exist to serve us. We are the church and we exist to serve our city. That's what we're here to do. So change them from an inward focus to an outward focus. Number 10 is this. 
Celebrate every victory along the way. Celebrate the victories. When you make a change and something happens productive, man, bring it to the church. Hey, guys, y'all know that we had, in the last three months, we had 10 new people give their life to Jesus, man. Isn't that awesome? The church going to go crazy. Come on, this is just the beginning. We're not done. We still got more work to do. Rally around. Hey, look what we did. You know, we had this dilapidated sound system and it was horrible. We didn't know how we were going to pay for it. But man, we were just raising the money just internally the last 12 months. And can I report to you that God provided every penny for a brand new sound system that's going to provide quality, excellent sound of worship to the people that we're trying to reach. Everybody goes crazy. Celebrate the victories. When people are baptized, hey, we baptized three people last month. Come on, we ought to give God some praise for that. Make it a party. Celebrate the victories along the way and go all out with it. I mean, actually throw a party. Have food. Do, do something big to have your people, to thank them, to tell them it is because of it. Let, give the credit away to them. Don't take any credit from yourself. Just say, hey, I thank you guys. You guys are making this happen. Your generosity, your time, your effort, your prayers, you guys are making the difference. I'm telling you, the victories and the celebration go a long way. Now, I want to go back to building culture for a moment. I don't have time to get into everything I have because building culture is a hot topic, and I want to get into some Q&A because I'd rather, I'd rather do that on this topic than anything else because I really believe the specific questions you have to your own situation is going to be more helpful if we can just do some Q&A. But when it comes to culture building, I really believe that the right culture causes growth. A lot of times things don't grow because there's no culture. It's like, uh, it's like with plants. There's certain types of cultures that cause plants to grow, vegetation to grow. Without it, nothing grows. You go to the desert, very few things grow in the desert because there's not a culture there. So you have to look at the culture of your church. I like to go back scripturally because I just want my church, I want vibrant church to look like Jesus. How many just want your church to look like Jesus? Here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is what? Is light. Jesus said, I'm easy and light. I am easy and I am light. If you want your church to like Jesus, it is easy and it is light. But many of us grew up in church environments that were hard and heavy, right? Matter of fact, we grew, some of us grew up in church cultures that if it wasn't hard on Sunday, we didn't have church. Like, man, that was hard. God moved. It was hard. Or, man, that was heavy. Man, the Holy Spirit was heavy. But yet Jesus said, I'm easy and I'm light, not hard and heavy. So when it comes to culture, I like to look at everything we do in the church and say, is it easy and light? Not is it not powerful, but is it easy and light? Is our, is our worship inspirational? Is it easy and light? Is when you walk into the building, is it easy for people to connect? Is there signage? Is there, is there things that, that is easy for people to, to get connected from one thing to another with kids' ministries, with where they're trying to go? Is it easy when they park their car? Is it, is it, is it light? Is there an atmosphere of, of life-giving environment? Is it light? Or when they walk in the building, is it just heavy? Is there, but is there life in here? I believe there's certain things that produce an easy and light culture. First of all, these are some things about culture I want to give you real quick. Ready? Define your current culture right now because you have one. All of us as churches have a culture. Whether you know it or not, you have a church culture. Really look at it and ask yourself, what is the culture of our church? 
right now. Once you define your current culture, secondly, define the culture that you envision. What kind of culture do we want? You know, if I, do you envision a culture of excellence where everything you do is done at the very best, that we're giving God the very best of who we are? That, that, that do I desire a culture where the piece of paper in the floor matters? And that people are just naturally, they're culturized to, if they see it, they pick it up. They don't just walk past it. When I first started revitalizing the church, I got out there in the lobby many Sundays and there was just little pieces of paper on the floor, just, just different things that, you know, people fought in people's pockets. Were, and I would just stand there and look at it. And people just walked by, walked by. And finally, somebody picked up on what I was doing after a couple of weeks and they came over there and said, here, I'll get that. They said, man, thank you. You know how important that is? It's just excellence, man. You had a heart of excellence. Hey, I want you to help me model that. Help me model. All of a sudden, they just got a little bit more contagious. People started taking pride in, in, in who we are and what we were doing because cleanliness is important. Can you say amen, everybody? It's just a culture. Do you want to be a church of excellence that when we get up on stage, we're, we're excellent at what we, at the very best that we can? No, we're not church of the highlands. But at the very best that we can and what we have, are we giving God our best? Because Jesus said, if you are faithful with the little bit I give you, I will give you more. I think too many churches and pastors are praying for more, but they're not being excellent and faithful with the little they have. So do you want a culture of excellence? Do you want a culture of giving? Envision the culture that you have. Do you want a culture of generosity? Do you envision a culture of serving where people have a get-to attitude, not a have-to attitude? Do you want a culture of diversity in your church like I talked about earlier for Viber? Do you want a culture of passion where people come in? I'm not talking about emotive, but I'm talking about passion in the sense that people are excited about the things of God. They're expected, expecting God to do something. Where you come in, there's just a buzz. There's a life in the atmosphere that people are happy. There's a joy. There's a passion. Do you envision a culture where people want to be in the community? doing outreach, whatever it is. Do you have a vision or do you want a culture that really attracts the next generation that's, that's, that's focused on students and empowering the next generation to serve Jesus? Whatever the culture that you envision, define it. Write it down. What culture do you have? What culture do you want? And number three, coach the culture from the top down. Start with your most influential people, whether it be staff or church leaders, and begin to pull them to yourself on a regular basis and begin to coach these things. What is excellence? What does that mean? Have a conversation with them. Challenge and probe them. Get inside their heart. Share scripture about it. Hey, how can we activate this culture? How can we be excellent? What do you guys think? What are some ideas? Lead them toward it. Coach it from the top down. This will take time and you have to be patient. But if you're steadfast in it, and if you pound the anvil faithfully on those type of things, you'll begin to see the culture materialize within your church. Number four, fiercely protect the culture. We do this at Vibrant probably to a fault. We are fiercely protective of the culture that we've spent a lot of time building. Don't a la carte anything for anybody for whatever reason. I don't care who they are. I don't care what their status in the community is. I don't care how much they give. They don't have a right to have stuff a la carte just because they're so-and-so. Can I get an amen, somebody? Fiercely protect the culture. We've dealt with that along the way. When somebody has a certain social status or a certain economic status, and they say, well, I want to serve, but I'd rather serve this way. Well, then you just don't need to serve in this ministry. Let's find one that's better suited for you because this is how we serve in this ministry. 
This is the process. This is the system for that. Yeah, but I don't want to. Do you know who I am? Oh, I know who you are and I love you, but this is how we do it. This is God's house and this is how we do it. Fiercely protect the culture because if you allow, people will hijack your culture. You've got to protect it. Empower leaders in your church to be the keepers of your culture. We're, we're still striving even in this area right now. We've done a very good job, but we still have a little work to do where people are now protecting the culture. People are now going on their own. Dream team leaders are going to people who serve and say, hey, you know what? That's not our culture. If we hear, we don't have a lot of gossip in our church as big as it. We don't, we don't do that. It's just not our culture. We just don't do that. I, I, I teach on it. We, we've done things in our culture to, to not promote those kind of things. So when that creeps up with people who are new, it's, it's because they don't know our culture. And so it, we don't have to now as pastors on staff going to everybody protecting culture. Now it's lay leaders that go to people and say, hey, come here, let me talk to you for a second. Hey, listen, I'm hearing some stuff. You know, that's just not who we are. This is how we do it here. This is what God's word says about that. Protecting the culture. There's a way to lead people into the things of God without being uh, dismissive of them. You understand what I'm saying? But you've got to protect the culture. Now, real quick, I want to give you the number five. I want to give you some big things that make a huge difference when it comes to culture. And then I'm going to give you some little things that make a big difference. All right. Oh, that's kind of confusing. Okay. So big things that make a huge difference. Your Sunday worship experience is a big thing that makes a huge difference. When it comes to culture, if I were you, if you're revitalizing right now, I would just do nothing but make Sundays great. Don't worry about, well, we need this program and that program. Listen, we say a lot more no to things at Vibrant Church than we say yes to. We keep the main thing the main thing. We have people come all the time. Can we do this? Can we do that? People are always trying to push the ball into the court of you as the pastor. They're always trying to hand the ball to you. What are you going to do about this, pastor? What I would challenge you to do is never take the ball. They are the church. So what are you going to do about that? For instance, we have a church of small groups. So we have somebody come up. We have this every once in a while. We'll have a, a lady or a gentleman come up and say, why don't we have a men's ministry? We need a men's ministry that meets on Saturdays for breakfast and men's ministry. You know what they're asking me to do? They're putting the ball in my court. What are you going to do about that, pastor? So I look at them, I go, actually, we have a small group structure. And since God laid that on your heart, why don't you lead a men's small group? And I hand the ball right back to them. No, you're the church. Why don't we have a ladies' ministry? We've seen a ladies' ministry that meets and, and sews blankets and stuff. Why don't we do that? So what I do is say, no, we have a small group structure. And God gave you the vision. Why don't you lead a women's small group and help us? Hey, sometimes they'll take you up on it. They'll say, hey, really? You think I can? Yeah, man, we'll show you how to do it. And sometimes they go, oh, not me. I didn't mean me. Oh, no, no, God gave you the vision for it. So you can't, you can't take everything. Keep Sundays great. Look at your Sunday worship experience. What does it look like? If you were not the pastor, would you attend your church? Right? Look at your worship style. It's not about traditional or contemporary. It's about quality. Is it prepared? Or are people coming in there an hour before service going, hey, what are we singing today? What you doing? What you got? What you got? You want to sing something? You know, what, what is it? Excellent. Your worship style, your service length. Some of us came out of environments where we were in two-hour services or, or whatever. What is that? Nothing wrong with it. It's just geared to service believers. 
But when you have people far from Christ, man, they come into a service like that. By the time it's over, they're crawling to the parking lot going, thank God, it's over. You don't want to leave them like that. You want to leave people going, oh my gosh, is it already over? Listen, God can move in a moment. He doesn't need to be conjured up. You have worship that's meaningful and inspirational, but there's some constraints on the time of that because you're not there to keep people hostage. You're there to reach people for Jesus. So you have some worship. Hey, how about this? Why don't you try trimming your preaching down a little bit? Oh, no, he went to meddling now. Preaching an hour and 15 minutes. Man, people can't even comprehend 20, 15 minutes of what you just said. Why don't you get it down? If you can't say it in 30 minutes, shut up. Let people go home. Come on, are y'all hearing what I'm saying? This is just culture building. Your children's ministry, what does it look like? Are the people who are serving in there, are they, are they happy? When, the, when somebody goes and drops their two-year-old off to the kid's room, are they like, oh, it's good to see you. We tell our people, look, if you don't like kids, I don't want you in the children's ministry. I want people who love kids in there. What does that tell you? It's culture. You got to train. You got to build. Hospitality, how about that? That is a big thing that makes a huge difference. When people come into your church, are people talking to them? You know, we still have people come to Vibrant Church right now that say to us, we've gone to three different churches. We're new to the community, gone to three different churches, and all three Sundays, nobody has even said a word to us. Is that happening in your church? You don't, do you know? Are you pulsing this? Are you investigating it? Are you looking into it as a leader? Are you knowing the condition of your flocks? Looking at what's happening, hospitality is a big thing, makes a huge difference. Developing leaders is a big thing that makes a huge difference. Are you developing them, coaching them, training them? Now, let me give you a few things that are little things that make a big difference. What is the expected attire of your church? Do people come to church and they, if, if, are people far from Christ, do they feel comfortable coming to your church and what they're wearing? If they just want to come in. What is the expected attire? It's a little thing that I believe makes a big difference. Hey, here's a huge one. Facilities matter. What is the condition of your facility? Doesn't mean that you have to spend gobs of money, but with what God gave you, what is the condition of it? Is it clean? Have you ever walked through your building just in the mind of a visitor? You ever walked from the parking lot in just to look at it? I've done this with our team Along the way, a couple of times, we've gone from the, let's go out of the parking lot, let's walk in. I want you to tell me what you see in the mind of a visitor. How does it look? How does it smell? When do, if you walk into your lobby and it smells like feet and diapers, then how many of you know that's a problem? Facilities matter. The cleanliness of the facility matters. The parking lot, the way it looks, it matters. The colors, I believe it. We're so, we're so particular about culture that it even comes to the colors. Like, why is that color on the wall? It's just not life-giving. Like, that just looks like a funeral home. Why is that there? Like, this just looks drab. Like, can we not do something? Hey, we, we know this lady down the street who's an interior designer. She said she'd come give us some ideas for free. Bring her in. Hey, if I were you, I'd do that. You know, just seek some outside help. Facilities matter. Colors matter. Scent matters. The way things smell matters. I ain't got time to get into the psychology of that, but you can read about it yourself. It's very powerful to people's sense of smell. Sense of smell triggers memory more than anything else. Smell is very important. We have certain smells in our building on purpose because of what it does to people. We want to make sure they're experiencing it's life-giving. 
It's fresh. It's, it's pleasant. Technology matters. You may not be able to do all the technology you see maybe at Highlands, but what can you do? We are in 2019, right? Some churches I visit, it's like you have to take a time warp to go to church. You come from the parking lot 2019 and you step into 1961. Like, where am I? Technology matters. You know, use some te- as much technology as you can. If you're up there giving like 10, 15 minute announcements, stop. Put it on a video. Let somebody do a voiceover. Put it on a video with some slides. Two minutes. Trim the service down. Come on, amen, everybody. Then you ain't got to do it anymore. And it looks cool. People like that. Technology is a little thing that I believe makes a big difference. Here's some little things that really make a big difference, and that is your systems in your church. I ain't got time to get into systems. Come to the Grow Conference this summer, and they'll give you everything about systems here at Highlands that will change your world. But your system and how you assimilate people, your system and how you you do community, whether it's small groups or another avenue, your system on how you train leaders, your system on how to get people involved in the ministry, how you get people uh, engaged in outreach, your systems, systems are a catalyst to growth. So your systems are little things that make a huge difference. Is it hard to get connected to your church? Easy and light. It's gotta be easy and light to look like Jesus. Just make it easy and light. Why? Because how many of you know, people in your church spend six days a week in hard and heavy. They don't need to come into church for more hard and heavy. They need to come into our churches, pastors, they need to come into our churches and feel easy and light, feel the life-giving presence of the Holy Spirit. Wow, this was a breath of fresh air through my life. And in the process, people come to Christ. These are all things that I think can revitalize your church. The last one is the most important to culture, and that is you gotta be the culture. To build the culture, you gotta be the culture if you're the pastor. Do you want the people? It's a man I talk to some pastors about. I don't know why my people don't worship. They don't just don't worship. I'm like, do you worship? You should be the number one worshiper in your church. You have to be the culture. Well, they just don't give anything. Do you give? Well, they don't have a heart for the city. When was the last outreach you went on? You know, they're not bringing people to church. Who are you bringing? Well, they don't do things with excellence. Or do you do things with excellence? They're not hospitable. How many hands did you shake? You have to be the culture in order to build the culture. They're going to follow your example. God put it on you. He gave you the vision. Emulate it. Model it to them. Show them what it's like. You may be the only one on Sunday worshiping your brains out down the front row. It's okay. It'll feel awkward, but let me tell you, over time, it gets contagious. Pastor Chris talked about that last night. You know, what he, you, know what, you know what last night was, which was phenomenal, by the way? Pastor Chris did an entire message basically on culture building. That's how you build culture. Be joy. It's contagious. So be the culture. Everybody say, be the culture. Hey, did I help anybody today? Did you take anything out of this? Hey, real quick, I want to just give some time for some Q&A. So I want to help you kind of where you are. Maybe if you have some questions on revitalization, I can, I can help answer some questions. I know we got some microphones. Ready? Yes, sir. Right here. Got you right. Hey, thanks for what you did, man. Thanks for what you went through to model this for the church. It all helped. It helped all of us, and we really appreciate it. We are Thank psyched you. to see it happen in our churches. Thank you. Thanks. A quick one for you. So, um, I planted a church. That, uh, my wife and I it went gangbusters. Big deal. Fantastic. God blessed it. 
He shifted us. We've stepped out of that. We've now stepped into a church revitalization situation. Mm-hmm. I've been there three months. We're excited. God's got big plans. We know we just can see it. You know, we can see over the mountain. It's beautiful. Yeah. Question for you. So I've got a board member mm-hmm. who was quiet during the interview process. Um, That's favorable, the most dangerous one. Kind, right but real quiet. Just interpret him as a kind of quiet dude. Turns <laughs> out uh, not as excited about where we're heading as uh, we would like him to be. Sure. Uh, to the point where it's even slightly confrontational at this point. So wacky question for you. Um, small, small, small church. Yeah. Um, and I'm used to big, big, big church. Yeah. But I'm psyched. I was in small church years ago. We're sure. psyched. My question is, give me a guess at the timeline for me to help this guy. If I can't him help him and his wife on, how quickly can I safely, when people don't even know my full name, help him off? Very quickly. Very quickly. I would, I would do my best to have a few conversations in love just to kind of give explanations of why we're doing this. And I would bring it back to Scripture because he can argue with you, but he can't argue with the Word of God. I would bring it back to Scripture. Let me tell you why this is important, the gospel. You know, why I would try to bring him into the vision. If after a few conversations, that's not going to happen, and this is just going to turn into a battle of the wills, then at that point, my next meeting would be very respectfully, hey, listen, I'll tell you what, maybe it's time for you to bow out. Yes, oh, because the problem is the longer it stays, the more it festers internally. And everybody else knows it's a problem and they're looking at you silently. They won't tell you, but they're looking at, why aren't you doing something about this? It, it chips away at your leadership credibility the longer it lasts. So, right, it even goes, it even goes into staffing. When you hire, make a bad hire, every pastor makes a bad hire. I definitely have made some. We've made some bad hires. Guess what? Everybody in the staff and the church know it's a bad hire. And pastors will drag it out. So how does a pastor repent to the congregation for making a bad hire? They fire them. That's how you repent and apologize to the church. Sorry, my bad. We'll start over. This guy's not on staff, but the sooner you do that, the better off because you are in the beginning stages. The longer it roots, the more he begins to probably get a campaign and starts taking, getting allies to him. So you don't want all that. Just, hey, man, if this is not for you, that's fine. Hey, I'll tell you this. Not everybody who helps you get to one level is going to be there to get you to the next level. Yes. Yes. Do I? I didn't hear you. I'm sorry. Yeah. Any, anybody on the board in a church like that is going to have influence. So you, you have to do But see, that's the, that's the issue. You've got to stand your ground. The people are watching you. And they're going to see what kind of leader you're going to be. You don't have to get ugly with anybody. You don't have to draw blood and, 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 and be all nasty and lose credibility. But you can lovingly draw a line and say, no, this is what we're going to do. And if you're on board, I'm so glad. I want you to be on board. But if you're not, let's not hurt the body of Christ. Let's put the church before our own preferences here. And, and maybe, maybe it's time for you to find another place to worship. Because I'm not going to let anything divide the, the unity of the church. That's, does, that make, does that help you? It's hard, but it's worth it in the long run. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, we don't vote on anything. Um, so could you talk to the speed of, like, like I said, if you've got a sacred cow you're wanting to get rid of, but you're going to lose half the church and you can you, wait. 
Yeah. Uh, and on some things, you can just do it and just, yeah. and just so digest it, the whatever. It depends on what the sacred cow is, and it depends on the timing. It, I think the timing is going to be different depending on the— every church is going to be relative to, that, to the context of that church. There are certain hills I'm willing to fight and bleed on, and there are certain hills I'm not going to fight right now. I'm going to wait. It's just not ready yet. Maybe in a year from now, six months from now, it'll be the right time. But there are certain things like, no, I'm going to bleed right now on this one right now. We just came out of one of those last June. We went from an every Wednesday night service church to a first Wednesday format. And I knew going into it, it was going to be a war. And it was. And, I, and it, was, it was hard. It was probably four or five months worth of it. But I determined I'm going to fight on this hill. There were, there were reasons why it was important that we did it. It wasn't just an idea. There were strategic, important reasons why we needed to transition at our size church and what we were doing to that model. But we had some people in a community like ours that is not a metro area. Wednesday nights are like sacred. We even had people tell me, well, doesn't the Bible say we should be meeting on Wednesday night? <laughs> it got to that point. I'm like, no, it doesn't actually. You know, it got to that, but we had to, but that, that was something because of the context and where we were that I was going to fight on that hill at that time. I think a year earlier, it wouldn't have been the right time. I think it depends. I think the speed goes to what issue it is, the, the culture of the church, where you are. You've got to be careful. But no decision you're going, listen, no decision you make in changing or revitalizing something in your church, you're going to win 100% of the popularity. You're going to upset somebody. And you've got to be okay with that. You've got to keep your eyes on the bigger picture down the road. What is the vision we're going after? I can handle the criticism if I can put my head on the pillow at night and have the peace of God in my heart that I'm being the leader and doing the vision he gave me to do. I don't care who's with me or who's for me. God's got my back. But you're not going to bring everybody with you along the way. You're just not. You're going to have people leave. We had them leave in clips at one point. Not just one or two, like dozens, like at times. And it would hurt. It hurt. But I had to have the peace in my heart to know that I was doing the right thing for the greater good. Either our church was going to matter or it wasn't going to matter. And I wanted it to matter. Amen, everybody? No. <laughs> no. They did not have my back 100%. But, but what I did was I, I very lovingly and very carefully, I let them know that, you know, at the end of the day, I'm going to call the shot. I want the discussion. I want the debate. But I'm the vision bearer, okay? If you don't like it, I respect that, but I'm, I'm, not going to, I'm not going to abdicate my calling to be a visionary to somebody who's not called to that. I'm the visionary. I want to listen. I want to hear. I want the debate. I want all that healthy stuff. But at the end of the day, I'm going to call the shot. And at that point, it's going to be all of our idea, whether you like it or not. If it's your preference or not. Give me a chance to see what happens. If it doesn't work, I'll own it. But let's just try it. So I think that's something that's a culture. In, in a lot of churches, it's different because you may be dealing with a, a board-ran church where they make all the decisions, and that's another, that's a whole other culture you've got to fight before you even begin to revitalize the church is, is dealing with that. So no, I didn't have all of the board on my team at first, but what happened was they, I convinced them enough to, hey, walk with me through this. Let's just see what happens. Okay, hey, let's just try it. Let's see if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And, and you know what? And some of them kind of begrudgingly said, okay, 
We'll see what happens. And all of a sudden, it worked. And that just gave me more leadership capital that when I came to the next thing and said, we're going to change, I'm like, you know what? Let's do it. And then before you knew it, some things didn't work. That's okay. But the things that matter did work. It's getting the, I think it's getting the first couple of wins in your belt. They give you the credibility. to keep them. That's why I said momentum is your biggest ally. It, does that make sense? I don't know if I'm answering your question, but. Oh, momentum. You can change anything you want. <laughs> yeah, well, what they're, they're fighting is they're fighting what they want. It's their preferences. Yeah, it's not about the greater good. So either they can be led into it or they can't. And I don't waste my time with the ones who can't. I love them, but I love them out the door. God bless you. You know, we've had some people that have told us along the way, we don't like being in the big church like this. Eh? We liked it small. Everybody knew each other. And that's fine, but that's why we have small groups. Oh, it's so much harder. It's so much harder. But then we told, hey, if, if, if you just, listen, I'm, my opinion, hey, I've told them, if, as long as people are going to hell in our city, we have a mandate to grow. And we're going to grow. If you don't like that, if you just want to be a little, hey, there's, there's like, hundreds of them in our city. God bless you. You know, enjoy that. It's just not who we are. You know, it's not, not our vision. Questions? Yes. Do we have time? Yeah, I'll be here as long as they let me. I think we're actually out of time. So um, I'll talk to him. But I think we got time for one more if you have a question. Uh, we, great practical things. I'm, I'm going to go to the spiritual side of it. Uh, can you define the, and, and we'll stick to prayer. Can you define the spiritual uh, culture that you've created for prayer in your church? Um, I'm a church of 100. Yeah. I'm not sure where you're at, but what is that culture look like and what is a healthy yeah. uh, culture for that? Because I believe with spiritual health comes numerical growth. I'm going to answer that in two different ways. One, I'll tell you, at your, at your size and where you are in your growth, be very careful empowering that ministry too much because the nature of it is they can control a little, not meaning to, just because of the spiritual nature of that gift, it can be, it can, it can, it can, it can cause some problems. However, what we've done is we looked at Highlands for a lot of uh, influence on prayer ministry, and we're still developing some things on this. So what we have right now is we have prayer team, a prayer team that we, you know, through the growth track, if people identify in the spiritual gift of intercession, we're going to know about it. Then we pull them into an orientation and give them an opportunity to serve on that team. So that team just looks like at the end of every service, we have our prayer team down in front of the stage and we tell people, hey, if you need prayer for anything today as we dismiss, come on down, let someone pray with you. Um, we actually have enjoyed them praying in a separate room even during service, praying for the... And as far as a corporate prayer night, no. What we do is we have 21 days of prayer the first of the year. And this year, I think we're gonna be doing it in August as well. So that's when we challenge the church during those, like Highlands does, during those 21 days to come down to the church, whoever will. Not everybody's going to come. But we have a lot of people. Like in January, we had over 150, 175 people show up at 6 a.m. to pray from 6 to 7 o'clock in the morning. Um, and we, and, and they, they'll actually tell you how to do that one hour where it doesn't even feel like an hour. It's beautiful. And, and people really loved it. I mean, they had a great time. So we just create that. I think, I think in, our, in our services alone, we have those prayer moments in our service that are very powerful and meaningful. We do a mega worship night, a worship night three or four times a year where we 
Uh, it's just a whole night of worship and prayer. So we, we interchange it, you know, for an hour, 15 or whatever, do communion and all that. It's just a powerful, powerful night. Altars are packed. I mean, it's just, it's an amazing time. So I don't know if I'm answering your question, but as far as actually having a prayer night or prayer deal, 21 days were two times that those happen in the year when we do that. Yeah. Y'all give it up for Pastor Jason Delgado. Rocking it. And I will say this, if you have questions, a great place to, man, get questions like this answered is go to the ARC meetups. Meet other pastors that are doing the things that he says very well. It can be a great place to get those questions asked, answered and get best practices. But man, enjoy your, your, your rest of your day. We'll see you tonight for the last session.